0: This whole business of heaven is something that people have been talking about, for, talking about for a long time. At least 2,000 years ago, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark, there are some Jewish leaders who came and talked to Jesus about the afterlife. We have a record of their, current conf, their little conversation. Amazing. A well-attested record of their conversation. And uh, we're going to read that right now. Mark chapter 12 starting in verse 18, and uh, I'll read, just follow along. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother now there were seven brothers okay now they're bringing up this old testament commandment actually and it's pretty far removed from our experience today so this is the way it went in uh, the book of uh, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 6 If Brothers are living together, and one of them dies without a son. His widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So uh, in a lot of ways, this is all about taking care of people, about preserving the memory of your, of your departed loved ones? Let me explain. Back uh, then, all the land was allotted to different um, men, primarily in the nation of Israel, when they came to the Promised Land. There were some women who were in on the take, but they were very, very few. And if a guy had a plot of land, that was an extremely valuable thing was his inheritance, not just for him, but for his children, for his wife. And so the deal was, if you got married and then you died before you produced any offspring, then what would happen to that land? More importantly, what would happen to the widow who had no way of making a living for herself? So the deal was, is that since... Having children was such a high priority that one of the brothers, the next in line, would come and have conjugal relations with his sister in law in order to raise up a son or offspring for his brother, and technically that would not be his offspring, that would be his brother's offspring, and then that offspring would uh, grow up and take care of the land and take care of the widow. Got it? It sounds kind of weird to us today, but it worked back then. There's all sorts of great stories about this. Um, and I told some in the morning church, but I'm not going to tell it here. So maybe the closer we get to Christmas, maybe I'll tell it. It's a great Christmas story. Um, You're going, what are you talking about, Mike? Talking about genealogy of Jesus. Uh, But uh, another time. So this is what happens. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same way with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? You've heard the musical, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. This is like seven brothers for one bride right here. And um, a pretty unlucky lady. Well We'll call her the black widow <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, her ability to, uh, you know, kill off her mate. Um, but they bring this story to Jesus trying to trip him up. Now, if you remember from Joshua's sermon last week, the Pharisees came with a politically charged question, right? This time the Sadducees come with a theologically charged question. Now, the the Sadducees were different than the Pharisees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees actually were at polar ends of a spectrum. And this is going to throw you off her loop. But the Pharisees were the progressives, okay? And the Sadducees were the religious conservatives. They only recognized five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of Moses. Is all they recognized. As a result, since they only recognized the first five books of the Bible, they did not believe in angels nor in demons because they aren't mentioned in the first five books of the Bible, and neither is any kind of resurrection from the dead. So they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. The Pharisees, who are the progressives, actually were taking on the writings that had been handed down for years, the prophets, Uh, the the oral traditions. They were incorporating all of that into their theology. So they had a pretty healthy view of the afterlife, where the Sadducees did not. And um, just for kicks, the Sadducees believed in free will more, and the Pharisees believed in the sovereignty of God more. So there you go, you Calvinist Arminians. Take Take your sides. So, these guys are trying to trip up Jesus theologically. And they have this cute little story that they think is really going to throw him. Because they're believing that heaven is a lot like earth, only better. And one of those things you're going to carry with you is a spouse. Much like some of you want to carry forward you know, mountains or bicycles or your physique, but no, nobody said spouse here. That was interesting. Okay, you guys can fight about that when you get home. <laughs> All right. Jesus replied, "Are you not an error?" And 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 the Greek word here means wander. Planaste. It's, it's it means it's where We get our word "planet" from because the planets are wandering around the heavens, while the stars stay fixed, at least to our vantage point. Planasta. They, Jesus says, "You know, you're wandering. You're, you're off the mark. You're you're kind of moving away from what is really true. Are you not an error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage." They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses? Book of Moses, Exodus. Remember, this is the part of the Bible that they really know real well, better than anybody else than the one they accept. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living You are badly mistaken. Polyplastonite. Very much wandering. So he starts off saying that they're wrong, and he ends up saying they're very wrong. And in the middle, he gives two reasons why they're wrong. And those two reasons are what? Don't know the Scriptures. Don't know the power of God. Thank you very much. All right. So their error was thinking the resurrected life is like the present one. All right. Now, where did this idea come from? I'd like to do a little historical cultural stuff for you because this whole idea of heaven, this is um, important, right? Where do we find the concept of heaven in the Old Testament? Well, Isaiah 26.19, the prophet Isaiah, probably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, at least in terms of how much he wrote. And he saw the coming of the Christ more clearly than anybody else, it seems. Except for maybe John the Baptist. But this is what he said. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. The earth will give birth to her dead. Ezekiel, the prophet, has this vision, right? Of dry bones. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. You've heard that song? them bones them bones them dry bones now hear the word of the lord well that song actually comes from ezekiel 37 where the lord shows ezekiel this basically field of dry bones and he says um to ezekiel i want you to um uh, i want you to, can these bones live and ezekiel a very wise man says lord you know <laughs> And then the Lord says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. And so then you get this picture of these dead bones coming to life. Now, you know, it could be just metaphor, right? It could be just metaphor talking about how he's going to bring life into dead Israel. But he goes on. Later on in the chapter, he starts talking about uniting the different factions of Israel and bringing them back together again and bringing Israelites from all over the world, from every place that they've ever gone, bringing them back to life and bringing them to Israel where David will rule forever. And you're going, okay, um, We went from metaphor, I was really following this, Ezekiel, and all of a sudden, this sounds literal, like you're really going to do this. Let me read. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I will increase their numbers. I think that's you and me, personally. Not sure about that. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, that I the Lord make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Forever. Okay, God doesn't use that word and not know what it means. Daniel 12.2 says this, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul picks up the same theme, and he says this. This is New Testament now. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. The stars differ from star to star in splendor. So it will be, with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Let me ask you this question Do you know what happens to a Christian after a Christian on this earth dies, according to the Bible? To be present, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, now, I don't know what part of you is present with the Lord because your body is rotting in the ground, right? C.S. Lewis said the humans are amphibians. They're half spirit and half animal. That, And this is wrongly attributed to C.S. Lewis. This is not C.S. Lewis. You are not a body with a soul. You are a soul that has a body. You have never talked to a mere mortal. This is C.S. Lewis now. Nations, culture, arts, These are mortal, and their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, whom we snub, whom we marry, whom we exploit. So we are immortal. The basic part of us, our personality, who we are, goes on forever. And I'm taking off my sweatshirt. All right. That part of us is immortal. And it seems to me, and I'm not sure about the timeline of all this because I think time stops making sense, but you die, your soul, that basic part of you, goes to live with Jesus. In the meantime, you're hanging around waiting for the resurrection of your body. So you get a new body. I've got to tell you a great story. I just thought of this, it's so worth it, (laughs) doesn't matter what time we're going to end. My brother-in-law is a brain surgeon, all right, Mary's brother, brain surgeon, Oklahoma City, Dr. Paul Francel. so one time, he told me this story like just a couple years ago, he is working on somebody's spine, but they've got to go through the chest to get to the spine. So he's working with this vascular surgeon who's going to open up the person's thorax, their body, and then he's going to go in and he's going to repair the spine, do whatever he does, and then the vascular surgeon's going to close everything up, right? So you've got these two docs, got an anesthet- anest- anesthesiologist, and uh, you've probably got some nurses around, right? Okay, so, you know, operating rooms, there's music playing, people are talking while they're doing these things, they're, you know, barking out commands. Saying things like stat all the time. Um, and uh, so <clears throat> the vascular surgeon is making the cut. He's opening up the patient, and the patient has a vein that's sliced, like. The surgeon makes a mistake. He cuts this guy's vein. He starts bleeding out, like right there on the table. He is dying. His blood is going, just going out, right? And this guy is PO'd. He's pissed. And, um, and, And so he starts working feverishly to save the patient's life because the patient at this point is like medically dead, bled out, no, you know, and, um, and so they um, repair the vein, resuscitate the patient, finish the surgery. My brother-in-law does his deal, right? Sew so them back up. They're in post-op. At some point, they're having a conference with the patient later on. All three docs are there. Why? Because they hate lawsuits. All right. All three docs are there. The patient says, What happened in the operating room? Now remember, he's under total anesthetic. He's like out. And my brother in law said, What do you mean, what happened? He goes, Well, all I remember is that all of a sudden I was looking down at you guys. And all of a sudden, the surgeon over here, the vascular surgeon, started cussing. And then, Dr. Francel, you had this really concerned look on your face. And I thought, I need to go out and talk to my wife. So I started going down the hallway. And then I realized, wait a minute, I can't talk to my wife without my body. And so I started to turn back to talk to well, to go get my body, and all of a sudden, I know, I woke up in post-op. What happened? He could tell them the music they were listening to, and then we're going, ah, ah, ah. Okay, this is not something, I've known Paul Francel since he was in junior high, all right? He is not a liar. He's a brilliant guy. Finished Harvard in three years. Got his MD and his PhD in pharmacology in a total of five years at the University of Chicago. Is one of the first guys in the world to do gamma knife surgery on brains. I mean, this guy is brilliant. We are more than just a body. All right. We're amphibians. Half spirit, half animal. As spirits, we belong to the eternal world, but as animals, we inhabit time. Now, I want to talk about this whole process of of going to heaven. Some of the things that are really, really important to us now will be of absolutely no use in heaven. And some of the things that we consider nuisances here, difficulties here, will be extremely valuable in heaven. I want you to think about a baby in a womb for a minute. All right? The most important thing to that baby in the womb is the umbilical cord. Because that umbilical cord is the source of all life. It provides nutrients, it provides oxygen, it's for there for the elimination of waste. It is the most important thing ever, of absolutely no use once the baby is born. And the attic sac, little bubble that the baby's in, right? It's the shield and protector inside the womb from everything that could harm that baby. Temperature is regulated at an even 98.6 or whatever it is, right? So, ladies, never go into a hot tub when you're pregnant. remember Mary one time was at some women's retreat and they were all doing the hot tub thing and she stepped in and, you know, like five ladies screamed and pushed her out. You can't come in here. Because you got to protect the baby, right? And that sac, no use to the baby after it's born. But let's think about the things that are not useful so much in the room in the womb. All right, eyes. They don't even open for a long, long time, right? And when they're open, you don't see much because it's dark. If you do see something, there's really not that much to grab, except maybe the umbilical cord. Your hands, again, fairly useless. You can stuck your thumb in your mouth if you want to and suck on it. That's kind of fun. But other than that, hands have no use. Legs. You know, when you're real little in the womb, legs kind of come in handy because they can propel you through the amnoc fluid. And you can float from here to there. And mom never even knows you're around because you're too little. You're too light. You know, you don't even make any noise. And so, you know, your world is huge at one month old. But by nine months, your feet are a problem. Because they're, like, smashed up against, you know, your face. And, you know, it's like, if I didn't have these things, I could just move my head a little bit. And then you kind of get stuck upside down. Hopefully, you get stuck upside down, you know. And you're kind of wedged in this hip bone. And you're going, this is uncomfortable. I don't like being here. This used to be so fun and so great. And now it's horrible. And I'm cramped. And, you know, I stick my fingers in my eye and not in my mouth. And it's, it's terrible, right, for the kid? Now, if you could somehow communicate with that kid, if you could, like, you know, get real, real small and go in and communicate with this kid, you could try and tell the kid what great things eyes and hands and nose and are for, right? You could say, oh, you're going to love your nose because, like, right now it's full of fluid. You don't smell much. But you know what? One day you'll come across roses and roses smell beautiful, you know. Maybe someday you'll get roses as a gift, and that nose will come in so handy. At that point, do you think you understand what they're talking about? What's a rose? Or you might say, you know, and those feet you have, the ones that are in the way, someday you'll be able to run and jump and skateboard and play soccer. You can... Do kickball. You can do all sorts of stuff with those legs. Isn't it be great? Jump on a trampoline, and you're going trampoline, soccer. I mean, how do you explain to a baby in the womb what mountains look like? All they know is, is they're getting more and more cramped. Now, their ears do work, and sometimes... Actually, ears work better underwater than they work in the air because sound travels better. And so you've heard the voice of your mom ever since you were conceived when your ears started working. It's amazing when the babies come out in the the delivery room, you know, and the mom starts speaking like, boom, like they're they're looking around. They, They know that voice. But now it's not like all around them. It's in one particular direction. Now those ears are coming into play. And they can get directional with that. Or if 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 your dad has talked to your mom a lot during the pregnancy and talked to you while you're in the womb, you hear and you understand his voice too. It's like in this life, you know, the voice of God is muffled, isn't it? It, You don't quite get it. Like you're straining to hear what he's trying to say to you, and it's not super clear because you're, you know, like you're hearing as through foam rubber. You're seeing as through a glass darkly. But once you're on the other side, you understand, oh, this is what my spiritual ears were for. I learned to hear the voice of God, and now I know where He is. I can see Him. He's right over there. The things that were really difficult about the Christian life, like obedience the Holy Spirit and His directives, they cause me more annoyance than just about anything. You see that guy over there, Mike? Why don't you give that guy five bucks? Just, Just go ahead, just... This happened to me just the other, I'm driving by, I normally don't give money to panhandlers, right? I'm driving by this lady and, you know, I, I, I do the perfunctory, Lord, what do you want me to do? And usually he says, just keep going. Well, this time I'm going by and, um, and all of a sudden I hear the Spirit say, give her some money. Give her five bucks. I'm going, but I've already passed her. And so I had to go around the block, you know. Come back around, give her five bucks. I mean, that's annoying, right? Obedience is annoying. Like, okay, um, you know, I want you to forgive your child. Forgive my child. This child has done nothing but take from me my entire life. And now shows ingratitude. And you want me to forgive? Yes, I want you to forgive your child like I forgive you. You see, these kind of things that are difficult in this life, uh, that we don't understand exactly why do I have to show mercy? You want me to love my enemies? Okay, get this, folks. God wants you to love Islamic terrorists. He wants you to love Islamic terrorists. Do you understand that? Okay. In this life, I'd rather shoot them before they kill me or the people I love. All right? That's what I would rather do. But God is telling me, no, I want you to love them. You know what, I think it's that kind of obedience, it's that kind of love that makes no sense now in this life, in the next life, makes all the difference. Oh yeah, that's what it's for. Love. Heaven's all about love. Okay, now I get it. I got to love all these people. It's one of the reasons there's no sex in heaven, right? On earth, I mean, you can have sex with one person and God says, this is It's great. But in heaven you're going to be that close to everybody. And so what I come up with is sex is too boring for heaven. Because I mean seriously, you're not going to have sex with all the people in heaven, are you? That's just gross. <laughs> so sex is one of those great things I want to take with me, but nah, I'm not going to need it. Not going to need it going to be at one with everybody in heaven. Hence, Jesus saying that we'll be like the angels. Not that we will be angels, okay? Princess Diana did not die and become an angel, okay? Just telling you right now. But in heaven, she's neither going to be married nor given in marriage she's going to be like an angel not an angel but like an angel the bible says that, as a matter of fact we will judge angels in the afterlife i don't know what that means it scares the hell out of me i do not want to piss off any angels that's, like, that's just saying that right this flat out anyway i digress In striving, we prepare for the next world. We think we're in the land of the dying going, we think we're in the land of the living going into the land of the dying when actually the opposite is true. We're in the land of the dying going into the land of the living. That's what's going on. Jesus is saying, look, there's, there's really a heaven. You notice that Jesus doesn't tell much about heaven. Now, he has the perfect opportunity in this passage to tell the clueless uh, Sadducees about heaven, about the resurrected life. He could go on and on and on about it, but he doesn't. If you notice and read closely, the only thing he does is tell them what it's not like. There's not going to be marriage in heaven. That's kind of unsatisfying, really. But what's he going to do? It's like trying to tell a baby in a womb what the sky looks like, what the clouds look like, what Thanksgiving dinner is going to be like when you're around the table with people who love you and whom you love. He just tells us that it's there. The Sadducees knew more about what they didn't believe than what they believed. And you and I have friends who know more about what they don't believe, what they're not sure of, than what they are sure of or what they do believe. We have friends who are Sadducees. And if I had to give you two reasons why they are so clueless, it would be because they know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Do you know the scriptures and do you know the power of God? Some folks know one more than the other. Which one do you know? Which one do you need to know better? Because when we know those together, we can talk to our friends who know nothing about the reality of the life to come. Can you answer their questions? If you can't, if you're weak on the study of the Scripture side of things, then I urge you, please, come to a small group. Even if the small group is not about the Bible, at least you're with people who know the Bible probably better than you, and you can have those kind of conversations. You can read on your own the Word of God. Let the Word of God speak to you. God will reveal himself. I mean, honestly, that little subtlety that Jesus dropped, he's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ooh, wow, that is smart. That is smart stuff. Using the thing they believed in to show them the way. He was being gracious to them. Let me show you from the books that you actually believe that there is an afterlife. I mean, wouldn't it be great if someone that you knew just really liked the parable of the prodigal son, you could use that in a conversation that would help reveal something about the love of God to that person. And the power of God. I mean, I don't know how you experience the power of God because it's usually beyond your control. (laughs) Like always beyond your control. I'm not one of those name-it-claim-it guys. But I do believe that God loves his people and that he intersects our lives on a regular basis, that that heaven comes breaking into the earth. And if we just keep our eyes open and our ears open, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, the things we're going to need in the life to come, and that we actually need right now, if we keep those things open, I think we will see God work. And then we need to ask him to work so that we can see him work. It's all about knocking and keep on knocking and asking and keep on asking in order to see what God is doing. But finally, honestly, aren't both of those things, aren't the scriptures and the power of God all culminated in Jesus Christ? Aren't they? And it's Him that we should be talking about with people because He is the power of God and He is the one whom the Scriptures have talked about. There's a sign on a seminary over on University Avenue, which I will not divulge the name of. But as you go by the seminary, there's a big banner and it says, Study Theology, Bring People Together. What? That's the dumbest thing I've ever read. (laughs) Study theology, bring people together like who? I'm going to study, you know, you're bringing a mom in, you bring a pastor from a Protestant church in, you bring a Catholic priest in, you know, you bring a Jewish rabbi in. It sounds like a joke, doesn't it? And, you you know, and, and, oh yeah, they're going to come together real easy. You know, th- theology does not bring people together, folks. Jesus brings people together, all right? It's not your doctrine. It's the life of Jesus that brings people together. And if you have some loved ones who don't know Jesus, then I'm going to ask you to pray for them tonight. We're going to ask some folks in the prayer room. And tonight, instead of just uh, praying for these folks maybe through the prayer box, tonight I'm going to ask if you've got someone who does not know the Scriptures, nor the power of God, I'm going to ask you to pray for that person with somebody back over here in the prayer room afterwards. Obviously, you don't have to do that. You can stay right where you are. But let us focus our minds on Jesus. Pray with me, if you would, please. And when I'm done, you can go right over there. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for the gift of eternal life that you have provided for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is so good to know that more than I've ever imagined, more than I could comprehend, you prepared for those who have loved you, people who have been called by you, people who follow you. Thank you so much for the promise of an afterlife. Lord, as we get more and more uncomfortable, as my body grows older and older, as I begin to outgrow the womb of this life, as the pains and the hurts pile up year after year, remind me that this place is not my home. Lord, give me courage and give me hope to face my entrance into the new life.